You are listening to the Murray Hills Church Podcast. To learn more about Murray Hills Church, including our gathering times and how to connect with us, visit us online at murrayhills.com. seated uh, kids you can head out to children's ministry miss tammy and children's ministry volunteers are waiting for you right over at that door i think fifth and sixth grade started back up too so they're they're that door so fifth and sixth grade that way k through fourth that way uh as they're leaving let me tell you about one other thing i forgot to mention uh coffee connect coffee connect um we started that today and you're wondering well, what in the world is coffee connect basically we're asking you to come to church 30 minutes early so if you come at 9.30, come at 9 and be a part of Coffee Connect. It's a time of fellowship and connection. We got free coffee and uh, free pastries out there. And it's intended just for us to have some time to talk with one another. Because usually after church is not a great time to talk to one another. But really, honestly, the way this came about was uh, we figured out something during COVID. We, we were having a lot of guests show up. And if you're coming as a church, if, if you're coming the first time to a church, you look at the website and you see 9.30 start time and you think, okay, well, maybe get there about, what, 9.15 maybe? That way we got time to kind of familiarize ourselves with where the worship center is and figure out if we got to register kids and where the restrooms are and all that kind of stuff. So let's, let's get here at 9.15. Well, if you get to this church at 9.15, nobody's here. I mean, like, like our folks, we don't get here on time, and, and I'm, I'm the worst about it, you know. So we, like, there's nobody here, so you walk in this empty room, and like, okay, what did, what did it say? you like, pulling out your phone. Did, was it 9.30 start time? Because, and, you know, this, he's kind of sitting here awkwardly going, does anybody go to this church? And, and it was like, the analogy is if you invited somebody to your house at, and said dinner's going to start at 6 p.m., and they showed up at 5.45, and you weren't home yet. And they just had to sit in your living room for 15 minutes going, did, did they say six? Are they actually going to come or whatever? And so what we said, well, we need to start getting people here earlier. We need, to, like, we need to have a full lobby. When folks show up and they're new to the church, we need to have some folks in the room <laughs> to know that, yeah, you do have the right start time. So that was the number one reason we started Coffee Connect. And then we figured out this is a great opportunity for our members to be able to connect with one another. Because we, we, for a year, we haven't been able to connect with one another. And after church, is not always the best time because we're rushing out the door to get to lunch or we're rushing another service in, that kind of stuff. So think about coming early. I know that, I know that's, that's difficult, but think about coming early. We're going to do Coffee Connect uh, every single Sunday. So 9 o'clock is when it'll start for this service. And then actually, you guys have the best of both worlds. You can actually stay late. So if you want to, you can do Coffee Connect after the service. You can stay late and be hanging out with the, the folks coming in at 1030. So um, anyway, that's, that's what that is about, all about. Today we start a new study on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a study that's going to take us all the way through the spring. So we're going to be in this series. I've actually split it up into two series, but we're going to be in this study all the way through the end of June. And um, there's a lot to cover. We could almost be in this study through the end of the year because there's so much to cover in the Sermon on the Mount. But I split it into two parts. Uh, the first part, we're going to talk about chapter 5, and it's a five-week study on chapter 5. It's called A Different Kind of Kingdom. And then the second part is a seven-week study of chapters five, or 6 and 7 called A Different Kind of Disciple. And we're spending so much study time on this because it is one of the most important teachings of Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, like what are the central ethics of, of the Christian faith, they're contained within the Sermon on the Mount. 
And so we're going to spend a lot of time uh, in, this, in this study together, and um, we're going to jump straight into it. So Matthew chapter 5, if you've got a Bible with you, I'll have everything on the screen as well, but I always encourage you to either bring your own Bible or pull it up on your phone, because sometimes when we're reading it ourselves, there's stuff that jumps out at us that, that maybe we don't see when it's just on the screen. You're able to kind of spend some more time with the text. But we'll start in verse, uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It said, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town on a hill, built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, most of the time, when we study the Sermon on the Mount, we split those two readings into two different topics. Like, usually you're going to hear a message on the Beatitudes, and then you're going to hear a message on salt and light. Or if you're in a Bible study or Bible class, there's going to be one on the Beatitudes, and there's going to be on salt and light. Because we kind of treat them as if Jesus is talking about two different things here. These, these things don't really go together. But they do go together. They form the introduction to his sermon. And I'm going to show you, I think at the end, you'll see how these things connect with one another. And this message I'm calling Influence. And I think you'll see how salt and light connects to the Beatitudes. But we are going to spend more time in the Beatitudes. And the reason we're going to spend more time in the Beatitudes is because I don't like the Beatitudes. Now, that, that sounds like a terrible thing to say. And I, like, I'm, I'm just now getting comfortable admitting that there's parts of the Bible that I don't really like. Uh, and I, for a long time, I had a hard, hard time doing that because that, that just felt wrong because it was like, you know, well, God wrote the Bible, so you're saying you don't like God if you say you don't like parts of the Bible. What I'm saying is there's parts of the Bible that make me uncomfortable. There's parts of the Bible that, that stretch me and that challenge me, and there's verses that I'd rather not teach on, and there's verses I'd rather not preach on. And I, I'll kind of give credit to my brother for, for kind of opening my eyes to this. Several years ago, we did a class at Impact this is where our teenagers go. And this is like 10, 15 years ago. And we were trying to come up with some verses. And I was like, oh, I got a good one out of Philippians. And I don't even remember the verse I read. But I read my brother this verse. I was like, this is it. This is Paul right here. And I read that verse out of Philippians. He goes, no, I don't like that verse. I'm like, what, what do you mean you don't like that verse? And he goes, no, I don't, I don't like that. I don't even know if I agree with Paul on that. I'm like, you can't do that. What are you talking about? Like, didn't, didn't you learn anything from Miss Cross in Sunday school? You know, you can't not like verses in the Bible. And the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? He's probably engaging with the text more honestly than I was. Because he was willing to sit with some discomfort and go, no, I don't like, you know, that makes me uncomfortable. And the Beatitudes, 
make me uncomfortable. Not because I don't agree with them or not because I don't think that they're truthful. It's just they don't align with the way that I was taught to exert influence. And we're going to talk about influence today. And really, they don't align with the way you were taught to exert influence either. Because we all grew up in the same culture, in the same society. And according to Western American values, this is not how we're taught to exert influence. They are upside down values. If you want to be, here's the way we were taught to exert influence. If you want to be a strong leader, you must exert power. You must have power if you're going to be a strong leader. Uh, With power comes influence. That's the way we're taught to influence. So we would write these as, blessed are the strong in spirit, for that, that they inherit the kingdom. Blessed are those who suck it up and don't show any pain. Blessed are the mighty. Blessed are the stoic. Blessed are the aggressive. Blessed are the winners. Blessed are those who don't take nothing off nobody. Because that's who we want as our leaders. That's who we celebrate. Those are the CEOs that we celebrate and write books about. Like they were bullies. They got what they wanted. They demand. Those are the people that we elect to office. People that won't take anything off anybody. People that will punch back. We don't want meek leaders. We don't want peacemakers. That's not how you get what you want. If you want to get what you want, you got to be strong and you got to be aggressive and you got to take it. That's the values that we, that's the way we've learned how to influence. And Jesus flips this completely on its head. And I think the reason he does this, and this is the beginning of the sermon, and this this sermon is almost like the king's inaugural address, if you want to think it that way. Like the king, the Messiah, the deliverer is delivering his inaugural address, and he tells his followers that my kingdom is going to look nothing like you thought it was going to look. Everything you thought about my kingdom, you had wrong. And this had to be difficult for them to hear, just as it was difficult for us to hear, because if you put it in context, historical context, he wasn't saying this under the shadow of America. He was saying this under the shadow of Rome. And Rome was a superpower far more powerful and far more brutal than even America. And the, the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah that's promised in the Old Testament. Isaiah's promised this Messiah, this deliverer is going to come. And this Messiah is going to be a political king who will exert political power and he will overthrow the Roman oppressors. So they're looking for this strong, mighty king who's going to come with power and overthrow these oppressors. And Jesus declares himself in the scriptures to be that Messiah and to be that king. But he says at the very outset, my kingdom is not going to look anything like you think it's going to look. He's going to be the oddest king ever. I mean, this is a king with, with no wealth and in an earthly sense. A king with no wealth, a king with no army. A king with no status. And yet he will influence more people than, than anybody throughout the history of mankind. And what he's saying is the basis of your influence will not come from power. It will not come from position or military might. It will come from a humble spirit and an honest heart. That's where your influence is going to come from. That's why he says in that list, you look, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. That's who inherits the earth, the meek. You see how these values are upside down from the way we think? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Jesus is coming to establish a different kind 
of kingdom. And if we sit with the text a while, it, it starts to make sense. Like we see the wisdom. You know how sometimes people will say something to you and the first time they say it, you're like, no, that ain't right. No, no, no. Because it goes against whatever values you've had. Whatever, it kind of is countercultural to whatever values you had. And it's a, this huge paradigm shift. And so as soon as they say it, you're like, no, that ain't right. That ain't right. But you sit with what they said a little while and you start thinking, you know, I, they might be onto something. If you sit with this text a little while, you're going to start thinking, you know, Jesus might be onto something. Like, I, I think he, he might know what he's talking about here. Like, when I, when I was younger, I probably would have just missed all this. Is that, like, that's not how you gain power. That's not how you get influence. That's not how you run things. That's not how you win elections like that. No, this is, the, I mean, all these things Jesus is talking about, meekness and mercy and peacemaking and virtue. No, that's not the way it works. But the older I get, the more I see that, that power is fleeting. It doesn't last. Right? Power's like the iPod, if I'm going to steal Scott's uh, illustration there. It just it doesn't last. It, it, you know, the influence, it, it, just because you're in a position of power doesn't mean that you can, you can coerce somebody into following you or into doing what you want. Influence doesn't automatically come with power. I mean, you might be able to, to force them to do a few things, but it doesn't guarantee that you're going to earn the, their respect. Influence comes more through humility and integrity than power and platforms. And I'll, 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 kind of, I'll, I'll show you that here in just a minute, but that's where influence comes from. If you'll think about it, influence comes more from humility and integrity. And Jesus is the perfect example because his teachings changed the entire world. And yet he never had power in an earthly sense. He was not known outside of a small Jewish territory. He held no public office. He had no wealth. And he laid down his life as a sacrifice. And his influence has been more far-lasting than the greatest CEOs, the greatest kings, the greatest presidents, the greatest military leaders. All the, all the positions of power that we honor and celebrate in our culture. Jesus' influence has outlasted them all. And he... It, it was completely opposite of the way the world operates. The most powerful leader at the time was alive when Jesus was alive. Caesar. And Caesar's influence is waning. Caesar has no influence on us today. And that would have been amazing for the first century churches to hear. You know, 2,000 years later, you're going to say Caesar has no influence? You're going to say Rome has no influence? I mean, you're, you're going to say Rome is nothing? How could that possibly be? So you look at this and you go, okay, <clears throat> Beatitudes. It's the upside-down kingdom. Jesus flips it. You know, the kingdom, earth belongs to the meek. Kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit or the pure of heart or the persecuted. Okay, that's beautiful and poetic, but what, is it, what does it mean for us today? Like, what do we do with the Beatitudes? Like, it's a beautiful poem, but what do, what do we do with it? Here's what I want to challenge us to do with it. I want, to, I want you to ask this question. Is this the way, historically, and I, we, can, we can use historically as we can talk about it for the last two decades. We can talk about it for the last 200 years. We can talk about it for the last 2,000 years, if you want to. I don't, I don't care however we want to answer that question historically. But historically, is this the way the church has tried to exert influence over society and culture? The Beatitudes. Yeah, <laughs> you got to laugh. I mean, I... Is, that, is this the way that the church, historically speaking, the church has said we can change society by adhering to the Beatitudes? 
We can influence culture by adhering to the Beatitudes. This is the way that we can change a nation. This is the way that we can change other nations. We can let our light shine by exhibiting the characteristics that Jesus speaks about in the Beatitudes. you got to laugh because that's not the way we've done it. We've tried armies and the ballot box far more than we have tried the Beatitudes. We've sought political power. If, the church, if we just had political power, if the church was in the majority, if we had political power, then we could change this, this society and this culture that we're in. If we, could just, if we could write the laws and say this is what people can and can't do, then we could influence society. We've tried power in politics much more than we've tried meekness and humility. And ironically, that error of Christian power in America is waning. Like for, for a long time, you could say, well, Christians did it. You know, that's, that's the way you got elected or that's the way you, you held, you know, high status in society was through your Christian faith. But that's waned. Like the church is no longer the center of the community anymore. It doesn't revolve around churches. The pastor is no longer the most respected member of the community. It used to be several years ago, like the, if you, the pastors of the town, those were the respected members of the community. It's not really that way anymore. And government leaders aren't necessarily acting within Christian values and characteristics. They may do some things we want, but their character and their integrity doesn't align with Christian values. And, and it, you know, like the, the, the error, a lot of people call this the post-Christian error, if you want to go into that, it's, it's waning. And in the first century, guess what? Governments and leaders didn't display Christian values and ethics either. And yet the first century church had far more influence on the society and far more influence on the, the world as a whole when they were in a position of weakness than when they were in a position of power. Like almost Jesus knew what he was talking about. Like when they were in the minority, when, they, when their voices were the, the minority voices, they actually had more strength and influence on society than when they had all the vestiges of power. And I know that sounds backwards. Because we lament like, you know, we're just, we lament like we're losing all this stuff in our country. Like we're just losing. Look at what the church is losing. Look what this nation is losing. Look what we're losing. Look what, it sounds backwards because we say that's not the way it works. But it really is the way it works. And think about it this way. If I ask you to give me a name of the most influential people in your life. Like if you just have to think back. Give me the top three people who have influenced your life the most. Not just your faith. But everything about your family values, your, your character, your integrity, the three people who have influenced. Just think of those. You don't have to write them down anywhere. Just think of the names. What are, the, what are three names that will come to mind, the three people who have influenced you the most? What names would you put on the list? And you say, okay, let's see. I would say uh, Roosevelt, Reagan, and Bush. I think those were my three. And you go, <laughs> Like, no, no, you would, there's no way you'd think of presidents. I mean, no, no matter what. Like, there's no, you know, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, I see what you're talking about. No, absolutely. I'm not presidents. I'm sorry. Uh, I'd say Patton, MacArthur, Petraeus. There's, <laughs> there's no way you're going to think of military leaders. No matter if you love reading their biographies and all that. Like, those are not the most influential people in your life. Like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. I didn't know where you were going with that. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates. Yeah, I mean, we're laughing about it, but you think about it. The 
the most influential people in your life, you'll never list a president, you'll never list a military commander, you'll never list a CEO, you'll never list a social media influencer, you'll never, you'll ne- you'll never list a celebrity, you'll never list a musician. Those are not the most influential people in our lives. For one reason, their, their influence is waning, like it's fleeting. It's, it, they're, they're famous for a day and gone tomorrow, and they're in office for a day and gone tomorrow. They're the head of the company for a day and gone tomorrow. The most influential people in your life, I would bet 95% of you would list a grandparent. Like your grandmother or a grandfather would be on that list. And I would also bet that they didn't have a lot of status in society. That they didn't have a lot of, a lot of money or power. or Their influence came. I, I, I'd almost be willing to bet that their influence came because they were poor in spirit. They were meek. They were merciful, they were pure in heart, they were peacemakers. Like those are the people that influenced our life for the better. Because Jesus actually knows what he's talking about. If you were to talk about their influence, you wouldn't talk about how much was in their bank account. You wouldn't talk about what position they held in their company. You wouldn't talk about what offices they were elected to. You would talk about their humility and how they put others first and how they always you know, cared for your needs before they cared for your own, their own. You'd talk about their faith. You'd talk about their love and kindness. That is what attracts us in the end. Whether or not we see it or not, that's what attracts us in the, in the end. Kindness is way more appealing. Authenticity is way more appealing than winning elections or coming up with a clever tweet or coming up with the stinging comment that will win the culture war on Facebook. Kindness and authenticity and humility exert more influence than winning a debate. Which is why I think Jesus starts this whole sermon, which is going to challenge you. You thought the last series we did here was controversial. i got bad news for you. We're fixing to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. This is going to be the most challenging thing we could look at over the next several weeks. But he starts this whole sermon, which is going to challenge us morally and ethically. And I mean, he starts this whole thing by explaining that this is how you become a light to the world. Not the ways you think, not by getting more followers on Instagram, not by screaming louder than the people you disagree with, not by out-debating the atheist, not by winning elections, not by getting Christian leaders in positions of power so they can then influence the rest of society. That the way you actually shine your light is by living out the Beatitudes. That's why I think the Beatitudes come right before the example of let your light shine so that, and, and in verse 16 he says, so that men may see your good deeds. So if, if people see the meekness and they see the, the, the compassion and they see the mercy and they see the, the peacekeeping and they, they see the way that you respond when you're persecuted or treated unfairly, when they see that way, and Jesus is going to talk about turning the other cheek in here and he's going to talk about loving your enemies in here and he's going to, oh man. But when they see that, there's something attractive about that and there's something that influences people for the better. So we'll stop right there. Verse 17 is where we'll pick up next week, and we'll talk about righteousness, and you'll see how influence and righteousness all fit together. Let me say a word of prayer for us. Father, I'm thankful for this teaching, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. It, 
I confessed at the beginning of the message that I don't really like the Beatitudes. Honestly, there's a lot of the Sermon on the Mount that, that I don't like because it's, it's challenging to us. It goes against uh, the values of this world. It goes against kind of how we've, how we've been taught to operate. And I pray that you would help us to approach this teaching with an open mind and an open heart. And let your word infiltrate our hearts and, and let it infiltrate our actions and our attitudes so that we are different, so that we are the salt of the earth, and so that we are the light of the world. We'll become that when we become more like your son, Jesus. And uh, I'm thankful for him and his sacrifice and his example, and I'm thankful for the things that he taught us. And it's in his name I pray these things. Amen. All right, uh, next week, we're only going to look at three verses next week. So I think we're going to chapter 5, uh, 17 through 20 next week. It'll be, it'll be on righteousness. And so look forward to seeing you then. If you're online, we look forward to seeing you again. Um, and hopefully in person sometimes when you get the vaccine or whenever, that, whenever you're comfortable coming back, we look forward to seeing you then. Uh, enjoy the rest of this beautiful day. We'll see you next Sunday. Free coffee starting now outside if you want to go cheat on the 11 o'clock service. <laughs> If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.